0: If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched, scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and bitter smelling straw made a contemptible bouquet. Trembling carpenter's hands clumsily with fear grasped God's Son slippery with blood, the baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space, his face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night.
1: As we approach Christmas Day when we celebrate the birth of God's Son, Jesus the Christ, we most likely have a glittering, light-filled, festive occasion in mind. While there was joy for the shepherds as the angels praised God and gave Him glory, The conditions for the birth of God's Son could not have been worse. What a humbling experience for Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus to have such lowly, filthy surroundings in which to receive the promised Messiah. And yet, it was all surrounded by God's presence, love, and peace. As the song says so well, "'Twas a humble birthplace, but oh, how much God gave to earth that day." Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff begins a three-part message on the Messiah's birth announcement. Verse by Verse comes to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, where Steve has been pastor for over 30 years. It is a real joy for us to share this message with you by radio and the internet. Our sincere prayer is that you will have a deeper appreciation for the real meaning of Christmas as you listen to the next three broadcasts. Here now is Pastor Steve with a description of the conditions of Messiah's birth.
0: I invite you to turn to Luke's gospel again. I want to read to you part of the passage of scripture that we just read together. Luke chapter 2, and I want to read verses 1 through 6. of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Let's stop there. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. Yet the next verse in Luke's gospel is perhaps the most profound one of them all because it tells us that the invisible God became a man. And he was born into this world. Verse 7 says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, her firstborn son. She wrapped him in the cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, it may surprise you to know that this is the only mention of the birth of Jesus Christ in the four inspired gospel accounts. You may be thinking, but certainly Matthew tells us about the birth of Christ. Well, really, Matthew tells us about events related to the birth of Christ, but he doesn't actually record for us the actual birth of Jesus. He tells us about the angel appearing to Joseph in a dream prior to the birth of Jesus in order to explain that the child in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He also tells us about the visit of the wise men, the Magi, who came from the East looking for the infant king of the Jews. But that came several weeks and perhaps even months after the birth of, of Christ. Matthew doesn't really give us any of the specifics of Christ's birth per se, nor do we find anything in Mark or John concerning the actual details of, and information about the birth of Jesus. Mark states his gospel account by telling us about the ministry of John the Baptist. And he introduces Jesus to us as a grown adult at his baptism. John also. John opens his gospel account by taking us back in eternity past, by telling us that the word was in the beginning and the word was God, and the Word became flesh. But John doesn't mention anything about the actual birth of Jesus Christ, the event of the Word being born among us. That event is reserved for Luke as the only gospel writer given the unique assignment by the Holy Spirit to record for us the actual event of the birth of Jesus Christ. And surprisingly, surprisingly, He writes about it with amazing brevity and really simplicity without overstating anything. Luke simply tells us that it was a decree ordered by Caesar for a census to be taken that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem where she would give birth to Jesus. Next, he records the actual event of the birth. And then he tells us about the announcement of the birth by an angel to some local shepherds who were watching over their flocks nearby. Now, not only is Luke's presentation of Christ's birth brief and simple, but in telling us about all of this and the decree that led up to the birth, it actually has a secular ring to it. It doesn't even have a religious ring to it in the sense that Luke never mentions the sovereign hand of God in all of this event. Nor does he state, as Matthew does, that Christ's birth in Bethlehem came in fulfillment of direct Old Testament prophecy. Micah 5.2 said that he would be born, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, it is obvious that, that to us who know the Lord, that God sovereignly orchestrated this census. It didn't happen by accident. God sovereignly did it. By guiding the mind of Caesar to order it in order to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that prophecy would be fulfilled. But Luke doesn't speak of this. Why? Why do you suppose that Luke leaves out anything about the sovereign hand of God and doesn't mention it? Nor does he mention that Micah said he'd have to be born in Bethlehem. Listen closely. Because unlike Matthew, Luke did not write his gospel account to Jewish people. It was not his audience. Jewish people were familiar with the sovereign hand of God. They were familiar with Old Testament prophecy, but that's not who Luke is is writing to. Luke appears to have written his gospel account with a Gentile audience in mind. He actually opens his book, his gospel record, by addressing a man who appears to be a Gentile Roman dignitary of some sort. Let's look at chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let me read this to you. This is how the book opens up. Verse 1. It is much as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. And then note this. This is who he's writing to. Most Excellent Theophilus. It's a man's name, Theophilus. Now, the expression Most Excellent is interesting because it was back then often used of a title. It was a title used of Roman governors and other high-ranking government officials. So, Luke's Gospel was written to and dedicated to a specific Roman government leader, Theophilus, and was intended to target then a predominantly Gentile audience of Romans. As I said, an audience that was not raised with an awareness of God's sovereignty, uh, nor did they understand the know about Old Testament messianic prophecy. However, there was something they were aware of. They were aware of Roman leaders. They were aware of the Roman government, and that is precisely what why Luke records for us the most momentous birth in human history by telling us about a decree from the ruler of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus. And this decree led to the birth of the real ruler and savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christ's birth is intended by Luke to be seen as a contrast, note this, a contrast between the pompous head of Rome and the humble babe of Bethlehem. History reveals that this Caesar, the one who ordered this decree, was the first Caesar, the first one to bear the label Augustus. You see, Augustus was not his last name. He was not Caesar, first name Augustus. No, not at all. The term Augustus was a title that meant holy or revered. Now, why is this fact important? Pay close attention because up till this time, nobody took that title for themselves. The Caesars didn't take this title for themselves. The term Augustus up to this point was reserved in history exclusively For the pagan Roman gods that were worshipped by the Roman citizens. But it was under the reign of Caesar Augustus that men began, for the very first time in history, to think of the Caesars as gods. In fact, they went beyond thinking of this Caesar as a god. There are indications found among ancient Roman ruins That Caesar Augustus was actually being called by his followers, note this, Savior of the world. And so, Luke, knowing all this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, presents Christ's lowly birth as an intentional contrast between the exalted Caesar Augustus, the one who was back in Rome celebrating himself as Savior of the world, and the true Savior of the world, Jesus Christ Christ whose parents were refused a room in an inn for his birth and who humbly entered this world in an obscure little Middle Eastern town without any fanfare and in the most modest way wrapped in rags or strips of cloth and then placed in a cattle feeding trough for a crib. That's what a manger is. It's a a feeding trough for animals. And by the way, it might interest you to know that nowhere in Scripture does it say that Jesus was born in a stable. We often assume that he was born there because a manger, as I said, is a feeding trough for animals, and animals live in stables. But for all we know, Mary may have had the baby in the inn's courtyard, or Joseph and Mary may have camped out in the open fields, and Mary may have given birth to Jesus under the stars and then borrowed the feeding trough as a secure crib for the baby. We, we just haven't been told the precise location of Christ's birth. Although we do know it wasn't in a room in the inn. But while Luke doesn't tell us where Christ's birth took place, we do know his purpose in telling us about the birth in such simple and unassuming language. It's to make this obvious contrast between Caesar and... And Jesus. In essence, what Luke is telling us by this contrast is that the baby that Mary gave birth to was not a man who would become a God as Caesar was assumed to be, but rather he was the true God who had become a man. And so by stating Christ's lowly birth, Luke wants us to understand just how far God humbled himself when he became a man. Listen to these words by Kent Hughes in his commentary on Luke because he explains in incredibly graphic language the humble conditions, what those humble conditions really were like when Jesus was born. He states this. In Bethlehem, the accommodations for travelers were primitive. The Eastern Inn was the crudest of arrangements. Typically, it was a series of stalls built on the inside of an enclosure and opening on to a common yard where the animals were kept. All the innkeeper provided was hay for the animals and a fire to cook on. On that cold day when the expectant parents arrived, nothing at all was available, not even one of those crude stalls. And despite the urgency, no one would make room for them. So it was probably in the common courtyard where the travelers' animals were tied that Mary gave birth to Jesus with only Joseph attending her. Joseph probably wept as much as Mary did, seeing her pain, the stinking barnyard, their poverty, the people's indifference, the humiliation, the sense of utter helplessness, feeling shame at not being able to provide for young Mary on the night of her travail. All that would make a man either curse or cry. If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable, we miss the whole point. It was wretched, scandalous. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of birth mixed with the stench of manure and bitter smelling straw made a contemptible bouquet. Trembling carpenter's hands clumsily, with fear grasped god's son slippery with blood the baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space his face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night End of quote. "folks this is how far the son of god descended when he left the splendor of heaven and came to be born into the midst of a foul smelling world and foul-smelling livestock in a remote village in the Middle East. Jesus was born into this world, folks, as the worst and lowest of men. The lowest of men in the sense of circumstances. That's what Luke's simple words are intended to convey. But listen, we know this. After a baby is born, people like to know about this joyous event, and so it is a common thing for parents to announce it. Today, we usually send forth a birth announcement of a newborn stating pertinent information about the baby, his name, his date of birth, weight, size, things like that. Likewise, when Jesus was born, God sent forth, he sent out a birth announcement. That birth announcement also gives us pertinent information about his son. And the information of this divine birth announcement constitutes the true, the real meaning of Christmas, And that's the information that Luke here in chapter 2 in this passage presents to us as he records for us God's birth announcement of his son. He does this by giving us two important facts about the true message of Christmas. If you want to know what Christmas is really about, you've got to go back to the source. This is the source. This is the actual birth of Christ. Now, the first fact, the first important fact about the Christmas message that Luke tells us is this. It is a message intended for all people. All people. Verse 8 says this, In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, of all the people that God could have announced the birth of Christ to, he deliberately chose to announce it to shepherds. And that's very significant. It's fascinating. In fact, it's, it's something that we need to think about because in that society, in Jewish society, shepherds were looked down upon as absolute social outcasts. They were not revered people. They were not exalted at all. In fact, the only people considered lower on the social scale than shepherds in a Jewish culture were lepers. Lepers. Now, why did shepherds have such a poor reputation in Jewish society? It's because their constant work of tending to sheep kept them from observing the Sabbath, which was so important to Jewish people. It kept them from observing the Sabbath as well as all the other customary Jewish laws of ceremonial purification. They, they couldn't do that. They couldn't get to a synagogue. They couldn't get to the temple in Jerusalem. Shepherds had to work seven Days a week. They couldn't take any time off from the sheep. That made it impossible for them to keep up with all the man-made legalistic rules and regulations developed and imposed by the Pharisees upon the people. Therefore, they were despised by the religious establishment in Israel for failing to keep these religious observances. And in addition to their lack of participating in Jewish religious life, Shepherds were held in contempt by the spiritual leaders of their day simply because they were not schooled in the law of Moses. They didn't have time to be educated under the Mosaic law. They certainly knew some things about the law that would have been told them word of mouth, but they weren't schooled in the law of Moses. And so in a society that, that put high value on religious practices and education and knowledge, Jewish shepherds were considered ignorant, and irreligious. In fact, shepherds had such a poor reputation among their fellow Jews that they weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law. Why? Because they weren't considered trustworthy enough to tell the truth. Nor were they considered smart enough to understand the real issues. So, the shepherds of Bethlehem who were watching over their sheep that night that Jesus was born were not among among the honored and the elite of Jewish society. Far from it. They were the lowest. They were considered the lowest of the low, despised, ostracized, spurned by their their own countrymen. Yet it was to these disdained shepherds that God announced the birth of his son. Why? Why would God bypass the religious leaders of that day and announce the good news of Messiah's birth to a bunch of social outcasts, men who, who didn't even observe the Mosaic Code? Here's the answer. Because right from the beginning, God wanted to be understood that the Christ, the Messiah of Christmas, came into this world to save people just like these shepherds. People who were humble enough to know that they were sinful And unlike the religious leaders of that day, we're not going to be blinded by inflated views of themselves as righteous people. See, the religious leaders of that day, for all of their religious talk and all of their rigid observations, they were self-righteous men. Self-righteous men who really were not interested in the word of God, really were not interested in the birth of the Messiah. What they were interested in was making a good impression that they were devout. That's what they were interested in themselves. That's all. They were so caught up in the details of their legalistic religious observances that they didn't really care about the scriptures. They didn't care about honoring the Lord. How do we know this? I mean, we know this from what we've studied in Matthew's gospel. We've studied it for, you remember, six and a half years. So we know that. But I think the best illustration of their apathy, their indifference towards religious matters, biblical matters, was back in Matthew chapter 2. We were told the story of the wise men who came from the east. They're looking for the infant king of the Jews. They come to to Herod, and he doesn't know what this is about. So he goes to the, the priests. He goes to the schooled religious leaders of Israel, and he said, where is the Messiah to be born? They say, oh, that's not hard. We know that. Micah 5 tells us that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. Now, they understand that there are wise men who have come from the east looking for the Messiah. They understand what the scriptures say, that he's to be born in Bethlehem. But they don't care enough to go to Bethlehem to even check it out. And as I've told you many times, Bethlehem is about five or six miles from Jerusalem. It is basically, though, called another city. It is basically a suburb. Of Jerusalem. They were so indifferent, so apathetic, that they didn't even bother to walk down to Bethlehem and check it out. They didn't care. They didn't care at all. You see, God chose not to announce the birth of Christ to the elitist religious leaders of Israel because they were self-righteous men who did not, because of their self-righteousness, did not see a need for the Lord in their lives. They were quite content in their own self-righteousness and their own religious behavior.
1: The shepherds had reason to rejoice in the announcement of the promised Messiah's birth because they knew they had no hope from the religious leaders of that day. The Savior of the world would certainly make a way for them to have fellowship with God. For that, they would be eternally grateful. Pastor Steve will continue this study into the background of the shepherds and the hope they had for the forgiveness of their sins on our next program. Be sure to be here. You can listen to this lesson again by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can stream it or download it for sharing with a friend. That's versebyverseradio, all one word.org. Thanks for being here today. Verse by Verse is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries. P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida 33758. I'm your announcer, Jerry Pruden.